Howdy. Um, welcome back for another episode of Beard Banter. I want to pre-disclose that if I say anything extraordinarily stupid today, I do believe I have a pass based on my current COVID infection status. Uh, so luckily that is not transmissible <laughs> from the internet and I am healing at this time. But uh, yeah, definitely still a little scrambled. So I am uh, didn't want to miss being here with my friend Morty. Um, we met earlier this year and have very similar kind of uh, conversations. And so I invited him to be on Beard Banter with me. Um, we also have uh, Dom Kirby here, who is also my good friend that you see on a lot of my content. Um, and he is here beardless and only for the banter, uh, it would appear today. Only so. for the banter. Yeah. <laughs> beardless banter. Love crashing man. parties. And, and yeah, yeah. As, as I mentioned before, you know, to Dom beforehand, I'm incredibly grateful that he himself is here because it takes the pressure <laughs> off my otherwise very inferior beard. Fair. Fair enough. Um, yeah, so uh, just a little bit of housekeeping as we get going. You know, in, in Beard Banter, it's really just not a massive agenda. We'll start with a topic. We'll go wherever we want to. Um, that also includes audience participation. If anybody wants to add any chat to any of the streams they're watching, it'll show up and we can have a conversation about it as well. Um, and then ultimately today's topic is uh, is going to be around MSPs and paradoxes around security, you know, paradoxes around what we, you know, kind of um, have to do to deliver security to our, our end partners. The last thing I'll do before I hand it off for Morty to kind of kick off his opening thought on this would be if you want to join, um, you can also text me uh, personally on LinkedIn and I'll send you the link to join in on the conversation. You can come up on, on Restream and, and chat about it with us. Um, <laughs> oh, this is so great. Okay. Yeah, I love it. Uh, yeah, good to see you, Miguel. Always, always. Miguel's always on all the same uh, you know places where I consume a lot of my cybersecurity information from. So love seeing him. Uh, and then Bryson Medlock, our threat researcher at, at, uh, at ConnectWise. Amazing dude. Um, uh, Dom's beard game is weak. <laughs> so good. So good. So, you know, Morty, you were talking to me, and I'm going to paraphrase it a bit, but you were talking about kind of this, you know, log for shell, but not in the traditional way, not in this, you know, Brian Graves here is my buddy, um, you know, not, not in the way of like, oh, gosh, this one vulnerability, let's kind of beat the histrionics out of it, but it does give us an opportunity, you know, to talk about how this paradox in, we know we have to prepare, right? And I'll let you state it in your own words. Right. So, yeah. so look, you know, years ago when I started my business, I started thinking about a lot of things. And one of them for me was always, you know, don't focus on the money because when you focus on the money, you make no money. But when you deliver quality service, you make good money. And that's almost a paradox. Similarly over here, you know, log for shell. I know there's going to be an issue. I know it's coming. I don't know what it is. Another vulnerability. Something's yeah. coming. I know I need to prepare for it. I have no idea what it needs to be, but I know I need to be prepared for it. But at the same time, I don't always have the ability to think about it three steps ahead. I don't have the ability like, to like, collaborate with my clients. I don't have the ability yeah. to, to do what I need to do in order to be able to get three steps ahead. And frankly, sometimes I don't even know what that is in the first place. So yeah. these are, to me, huge I, issues. I, I, I actually like that paradox. Dom, if you want to jump in on this, I'm going to jump straight to defensibility from a perspective of that. But yeah, go, go ahead and... Do you have any thoughts on that? No, I think you nailed it. I think we need to embrace the, the fear of the unknown, right? And it's that's that's blue teaming in a nutshell, right? Like we can do only what we can do, right? Yeah, that's got to be a movie quote from something. But, if not, we'll um, make it here. Yeah, you heard it we'll here. We'll make folks. it here. Yeah, like you, you can only do what you can do, right? So uh, the understanding that a log for shell, a proxy shell, 
uh, insert problem here is going to pop up, right? It's a certainty, right? So we need to understand that. And I think you're going to get on about defensibility and you're going to, you're going to hit it, but we need to just prepare for it. You know, understand how we're going to react to a changing landscape. Yeah. Right. It's, it's a battlefield and the logistics of the battlefield change on an hourly basis. Yeah, and sometimes that, and sometimes before I get on my little soapbox, but sometimes that comes in the form of communication, transparency, right? right? Sometimes that comes in the form of, I don't know, I'm going to have to find out. Right. Sometimes that comes in the form of, I know what my impacts are. I know when I have to deal with client. We need to put this you know, security risk over your current productivity. And if not, let's come up with ways we don't have to be interrupted next time. Let's try to come up with ways to move systems that can that long-term not have these same challenges in the same way. But for now, if I need to reboot and patch, I need to reboot and patch. Right. And right. some of those things come into play where that becomes a communications game, too. Um, yeah, go ahead. In, Morty, you in, addition, in addition to communication, Matt, it sounds like what you're saying is that we need to have some sort of an iterative improvement process. Yeah. Yeah. Which goes in. I mean, I think you're pulling my string on purpose. and I think you just like getting me wound <laughs> up. But, you know, I, I think what, what an MSP's job is, is to protect their client in a defensible way. Right. Like I, I used to try to the shock factor of saying you know, your job's not to protect your client. I think your job is to at least inform, educate and protect your client in a defensible way. And I think when you start thinking about things that, well, what does that mean, Bob? Like, what would what, what I have to work on? I, I wouldn't have known about Log4j. No, but if, if you look at the CIS controls and find one that says constant vulnerability management, and, and that means not only discovery of new vulnerabilities, discovery of their impact across your organization, but also then the patching thereof and the, and the fixing thereof as it comes out. And even if you fail because, like, look at Log4j where you had one, two, three, four stacked vulnerabilities that came out, like, back to back to back, right? Like, and you look at this where even patching wouldn't have saved you from that next iterative one, but it would have saved you from the first one. And I think when you start talking about this in this instance, you zoom it all the way out to what is defensible. Defensible is, in my mind, not having something that you came up with be the only answer. Dom, you came up with it in our class today about having an external source test your penetration testing, right? Not just right. your internal testing. Why? Well, because we need someone with a different perspective, right? Like I'm going to look at something a very biased way in the way that I see things from a security operations perspective, but I can be wrong. And someone else right. seeing a different perspective right. can help me find that, right? Ray um, Dalio writes about this stuff a lot also, right? So when he founded Bridgewater, he talks about, you know, trying to get the smartest people in the room and having intelligent, thoughtful, um, Socratic debate, if you will. Right. So Dis discourse is, is that what you're way. suggesting? No, I mean, I think you just always need checks and balances to make sure that what you're doing is going to help reduce the risk, right? And I think what we're talking about here is reduction of risk. For any person to step out on a football field as a defending coach and say, I'm never going to allow a single yard, I'm going to laugh in his or her face, right? Why, why would I do that? I would, I would laugh in their face because that's not possible. Even if you could do it to some sustainability of a very small time period, you could not do that to some long-standing period against different teams and different capabilities and different positives and negatives and different warriors, right? You, you can't honor that, right? right? But you can say, I'm going to be really good at stopping the 10-yard drive in four downs, Right. You can say that I'm going to try to find ways to adapt when I see these changes and it goes, you know, kind of back to that. And so I think that well, when I lose a yard, I'm yeah. going to analyze why I lost that yard and try to plug that hole. Right? Exactly. That's yeah, that's really the defensibility. Hey, I lost. Right. Like that happened. But being able to go back and say, how did I lose? Right. I think, how did I lose? Um, and how can I prevent that same loss from occurring again? Because if you get hit by the same, if you get hit by one cry twice, like I know I'm going way back, but like if I get hit by sure. one cry twice, I really failed at my job, 
Right. Are, are you trying to, to poke me? Like that's not nice. Because <laughs> <laughs> I did buy an MSP that that had had that happen. We call them Voldemort uh, at this point, but, uh, uh, just so we'd never speak the name again. Um, I love it. Someone's trolling me in the audience. Like I'm not going to post it because it's so good though. But they're they're like, hey, this one product stops everything, Matt. I will speak <laughs> towards the histrionics as a paradox, though, right? Like um, you know, I, I won't I won't show that one because I'm not going to be that person. Um, but you know. To the point that vendors do come out and say, we stop everything, add this and you're now security, do these things. Well, if you've ever sat through mine and Dom's CIS course and talked about the 18 controls and the 56 sub IG1s and the countless others, right? Like those things are, are going to be much more a part of security than the scalpel the surgeon happens to wield in the surgery room. Right. Right. The, the, that, that's probably going to be more dependent on my surgeon's state of mind and capabilities and overall training and familiarity with this particular body type and overall blood pressure situation and all those things. Not necessarily the blood pressure cuffs. And, and too many times I, we're I told. I found a new analogy recently, though, is, is pilots. Okay. And actually, I got it from Brad. He's like, I every time the, the, the dude that's been flying a 737 for 20 years follows a checklist every damn time he's going to fly. Every yeah. time. And and every and a lot of examples of plane crashes, not everyone, but a lot of examples of plane crashes. That pilot has been flying for twenty years. Skip the checklist, right? That's yeah, right. yeah. Um, the key here is we're constantly changing the checklist. Something goes wrong on a flight, and and Boeing and and whoever gets together and they say, "What did we miss?" Something gets added to that checklist or changed. Yeah. Or, like it's the same. Well, NTSB we and military has a great after action review process to do exactly right. what you're talking about, right? Like we often right. do not. Uh, as as most practitioners in my mind. And right. if you've not um, read right. the checklist manifesto, which has a nice little analysis on that and compared to medical and project management for skyscraper building, fantastic yep. book, highly well, recommended. There's a TED talk too, um, and I, I don't have the link to it. I've said it a million times, but there's a TED talk of this woman that talks about um, post-surgical checklists in a hospital in Alabama where they basically put in, I can only even quote me on the state. I'm, I'm that, you know, just, but, humor me but there's a ted talk about how they took this hospital put in a post-surgical checklist stuff like did the patient get their post-surgical dose of antibiotics within two hours of their time frame and if not did they receive an increased quotient of right like did do you, right. you have these like steps of did i get all the sponges did i bring the surgical implements back did i right and and then they said that the mortality rate dropped like something on the order of 40 percent like just absurd massive number but it comes from the, the hypothesis was it comes from this like cowboy mentality right that, that doctors and even our type of practitioners have always shot from the hip why did we not do exchange why did we get rid of pop why did we switch we were following some things but we were being that that practitioners reading and following but as you start right. realizing like checklists and things start following established procedures that we know reduces the bell curve of risk and allows us to not fail as humans and as we iterate on them as dom said you know i think that that really helps but the paradox of saying that security is a tool uh, is often what, what kind of got me on that rant. So uh, someone <laughs> pulled my user, string. <laughs> uh, LinkedIn user really covered that, right? Just because it's obvious yeah. doesn't mean it shouldn't be noted. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, yeah, obviously, we'll I'm going to put the landing gear up when I take off, right? But there's like 13 other <laughs> right. things the pilot has to do before he can pull landing. Like, you got to be at a positive rate uh, and, and, you know, increasing airspeed and all this other stuff before you can pull that landing gear up, right? Yep. If you do it wrong and the plane falls, that sucks. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's the same concept, right? If I'm going to analyze an event, uh, an incident, and insert security product here, that product doesn't do much for me. It presents the data. It's my job yeah. to use the data. Um, I think the, the checklist also allows me to remove hubris from the equation. Yes. Yeah. Very much. 
because yeah. you know i mean everybody's arrogant but the guy i'm pointing at right no no definitely yeah, our own yeah, arrogance yeah, and hubris yeah, always point four fingers back right <laughs> yeah, yeah true story yeah accurate yeah and i think that the linkedin user said just because something's obvious doesn't mean it shouldn't be noted is is so part of even the teacher's dilemma as you try to think through what do i right. do as a step like who's built a process before as a technician and been tasked with actually writing the process it's far more than you ever thought you were doing when you start getting done putting each click on page and each next step and where did i go look next and where did i grab this ancillary data from and where did i like you start getting into understanding how much you actually would miss if you were just trying to shoot from the hip and maybe we're having a bad day or you were having a a miss or or those type of things and so it goes back to having good policies you know good procedures and and testing them and understanding them you know and, and using them so um but you you know the other thing you kind of talk about is this unknown part right well having yeah. a framework you're following helps with that too um in, in the sense right. that it allows you to say i'm at least covering the 18 things or in you know nist and C csf they're, you know it's getting a rework as well i don't know if you guys saw that in the news but csf's finally gonna have some supply chain stuff added to it um and wow, Bryson really? probably is way aware of that, actually, if I speak towards one person. You know, I appreciate Bryson. this, and I appreciate knowing what yeah. time it is. But, man, their SPs can get so far behind. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true story. Whoa, that was a good slip in there, Dom. Yeah, yeah. You mean supply <laughs> chain like, risk I don't is hate this, but, <laughs> yeah. like, I don't know. They just they can be slow, right? And and um, But I'm happy to hear that CFS is getting a little buff. That'll be nice. Yeah. Yep, it is. So at least there's an article I just purged, purged through, but it was talking towards those type of things. So it was good. Um, I love someone said, what about a vendor getting hit by the same group three times? You know, I don't like throwing um, rocks in a glass house in general. I think that we're all under. Fair enough. There we go. All right. Um, I think we're all under a fair degree of attack. And the more we aggregate, you know, risk and the more we aggregate access, uh, the more we're going to see attack on on vendors, uh, people that aggregate that risk. Um, and I think getting hit by the same group just means they got paid the first time and they have avenues to keep getting paid. And, you know, back right. to, to my, right. my experience, the, the, the company we worked with, um, you know, we found that they had had gross negligence in the regard of, of having three of the same uh -huh. things happen because they never engaged a real IR after a major incident. They never looked towards getting public-private assistance or they never reported or they never did those things. And, you know, when you start speaking towards the vendor they're alluding to, I think, you know, they actually kind of did some of these things. And as it came out in the news later, they, they were under some serious NDAs just for the nature of what we're starting to see from U.S. Cyber Command and what we're starting to see from the right. U.S. Justice Department. And so um, a lot of change is happening. But, yes, Miguel, great point. Like, if you're making a product, if you're making a tool, if you're making code, if you're laying down scripting, if you're adding capabilities to those things, like, you should have your security in your, in, in your continuous improvement and continuous development, uh, if I haven't butchered that, um, pipeline, right? Uh, Morty, you got a bomb shelter going off over there, buddy? Is it, Man, is that's it my dryer. Is that you, the, Tom? The mic used to be really good at isolating yeah, at that. that. I don't know why that's Oh, blameless. I did. I did. I was trying to blame Morty. Like, I'm a terrible human. Yeah. yeah. I got to see Dom more often, though. I got to see Dom more often. I don't get to punch him as much. But, you know, to this point, security should be embedded in this. And I think it goes further than that. I, I talked about this with uh, Eric also on a, on a call, you know, where, where it's like vendors need to have a vendor disclosure program, a vulnerability disclosure program, rather. Right, they they need to. What do you say? Hold on. To the dryer machine. That's Got my dryer. Every time. Yeah. It's probably internet connected, <laughs> and someone's just har harassing me. Right, like. 
Um, but no, security being embedded not only is like having the, the flexing of muscles capable to actually do security reviews, regression testing, you know, all the things before releasing code and doing that in a very quick. <laughs> Adam Cohen said your dryer got hacked. I love it. Um, but, you know, having that ability to also fight new code for time to get the code fixed. Right. Man, That's so good. Tom. But I love it that, you know, but to get new code. Right. Because like, for example, let's say you have this, you know, pesky vendor like Matt Lee that wants to have SSO before he'll continue moving forward with a particular firewall vendor. Right. And so he says those things and they ask him how many firewalls, which he thinks is absurd. And he says, well, I don't know, 500. You going to hold me to it. Well, no, not not really. Great. Then fucking put the code in front of the other stuff. It's legacy architecture that's causing this problem, right? You haven't rewritten your authentication zone. It's still tied to a dot .local that's tied to a federation that's on AD servers. Like, we should have some modern web practices for this. And so the challenge is, like, I had to fight through that by just saying revenue that was going to come out of the fucking sky. Excuse me for my, like, there, I'm going to get in trouble on that one. But, you know, this <laughs> comes out of the sky. And, and into their process, right? And and the problem is that if you're a code person, you're sitting there in production, you're going, I know we need to fix this. This is trash code. Like, I've worked here. Like, it, there's so many avenues of attack, both on the code itself and on that employee leaving potentially out of frustration and having that knowledge. And, like, you, you get into a lot of different avenues there. But I, I never – I don't see this often where – you have that you don't see this often where you have a well-integrated CI/CD in my my small experience, but in working with 26 different vendors, you know, on their advisory, I didn't find ones that found adequate measures to either have a dedicated sprint team that was able to work on the code in a way that they could fix these bugs outside of the normal productivity schedule, or the productivity schedule where they assigned enough risk numbers to outweigh the the volume of what new revenue would be generated to put this security sprint that fixes something that's massive ahead of something that you know that maybe produces revenue so Matt, can i talk um, to that for just one sec yeah um, i i think that we, we fundamentally um think that big risk is big and little risk is not such a big deal whereas it almost seems like and i think malcolm gladwell wrote a whole article about <coughs> regarding this and the three mile island accident that a series of tiny little things yeah little things right um, that, that a series of tiny little things potentially can lead to a greater disaster than the big thing. Totally. So I, I wonder if we need to, again, maybe just tone down our expectations to not try and just necessarily find send Bitcoin. <laughs> 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 um, you know, to, to maybe tone down our expectations of what it is that we consider to be a big deal. Maybe two or three little things is worse than potentially what we would otherwise consider to be a big deal. Yeah, but I think the challenge is how do you how do you prioritize that? And is the assertion maybe you just always have a path available with enough volume to handle the little things as they come up so that you, you know, kind of have a very defense. I mean, that would be a very defensible position to back to my point, right? If you had a vulnerability discovery program that was wide and broad enough with enough reach to get engineering resources that were necessary at the time and budget wasn't a huge constraint and you didn't have a constraint on just operational capability of modifying the code. Like if you could make all of those things magically happen, you know, I think that's the sky and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And I'm not trying to be diminutive. I just and, and, mean, and I think that's the struggle. And it was open source and controlled by a company at the same time. Yeah. The whole, <laughs> the whole, what do you call it? The, the thousand eyes theory on open source just never many really hung theory, with me. Yeah. Many eyes theory. Yeah. Never really landed with me. Cause I know when I'm working on something and I found this piece of code and I might want to modify it for my benefit and I might do something like, I'm not going, you know what? 
have I done my social responsibility yesterday to go back and look at the other code that I've never even read? This? <laughs> right, I'm going to go right, do right, that right, for right, a few right. hours if you don't mind. Like, I don't see right. that happening. It's just not part of my drive chain. Like, maybe others are better humans than me, but. Um, well, I think there's, there's people in the open source community that do that, right? But it's not, it's nothing like getting your code reviewed, getting it deployed and tested. Right, that, and when you're writing something that ubiquitous and ma maintaining something that ubiquitous, it needs that. It needs that before anything new gets released. It needs that before a PR gets put in a master, and that I think can be missing. Right, it yeah. almost happened. I don't know, a year or two ago with PHP. PHP, right? Like somebody got into the distribution point of PHP, which runs most websites on the internet. Right, any website that uses WordPress. Sure. Could you imagine? Like, but no, they had a process, they caught it, and they said, man, that would have been bad. Like, Yeah. Yeah, what, what about maybe something that runs 3 billion devices or so that might have this yeah, like, you know, ancillary logging Billions. Project. Of I'm devices. beating a dead horse. I, I'm beating the hell out of a log-for-shell dead horse. But, you know, know. it's tongues out and everything, so at least it'll be tender. So, so maybe let's fork from that for one second, guys, if you're interested. I'm wondering what you think about um, uh, safe spaces, not in the social responsibility kind of area, but... You know, let's say a you know back in the day, we would consider everything inside the firewall to be a reasonably safe space. <laughs> it, it, yes, haha, but still, <laughs> um, are, are there such things these days? And can yeah. can cloud vendors create certain areas that are, I don't know, air? So I've got a I've, I've, I've got a flash drive, right? And and yeah, I still use those every now and then, but. Uh, it's got a backup of my password uh, manager, right? It's in yeah. a secure location. Yes. I don't, I'm not Morty. that fancy. I need to get one those of those. Those are fantastic. It's in a location, and if, if something were to happen, and, you know, I, uh, perhaps when I assist the leak, like, there are people that would have access that's, like, that's safe in my opinion, right? Yeah. Like, you would have to go through a lot to get to that. But if it's connected, I mean... What, do you, what are you going to do, right? Like, connected really relies on proactive, prompt, defensible security operations. And I love that term, and we call, at Pax we call our team SecOps. I hadn't heard the term before, but it really is. It's security operations, right? And if you don't have that, if you're not constantly testing these things, you're the next chucklehead that leaves a Firebase uh, database open to the world, right? So you need to have those things and control anything in the cloud. Now, obviously, you can build... Um, you can build a lot of different things to make a more secure cloud environment, right? Like in an Azure remote desktop services or Windows 365, I could put controls in place before you can get in. But if I misconfigure that or someone changes and it's not caught, I've, I've undone that work, right? Yep. Um, so it's a tough, I would argue that if it's connected, it's not safe. We need to assume it's going to get compromised and be ready for it. And, and I would say my answer to that comes in Miguel's answer, right? Is that the perimeter is gone, right? The edge is the, right. the end point is the new edge, right? It's... Um, you're starting to see this point of consumption must be point of uh, of protection as a right. as a methodology that has to exist. And Dom, do we have something in the wings here? John, did you did you send him a link? I didn't send him a link. Morty, did you send a link? To whom? To John? Yeah, yeah. No. Okay, we we have someone either has brute forced the code, uh, but yeah, interesting. I, John's welcome to join in and talk about it if he'd like, I suppose. <laughs> you know, there's not much not much knowledge here that's not public. Um, well, speaking of compromise, what happened? <laughs> yeah, that's a very interesting. Um, 
but uh, I digress. I suppose <laughs> he dropped off. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. Note to self. Uh, maybe we find out of a new vulnerability here pretty soon. Maybe there's a reuse of uh, codes or something. Uh, interesting. That's funny. Man, imagine, you know, imagine going to a stream and thinking it's a different one and you walk in on us. Like, wow. Yeah, no doubt. They're like, who are these mugs? <laughs> like, good Lord. They're, they're influencing like sevens of people or twenties of people or something right now. Um, I think they were selling dryer bells. <laughs> oh now that is always Jason, up for an invite you're Jason. always invited. you're literally an emeritus invite like at any point in time i can copy and paste this link to you sir on yeah. a myriad of different connection methodologies <laughs> so um but yeah dom is the beardless one he's here for the banter only the we covered that one. early yeah yeah um but yeah we you know we kind of don't like to run these things too long but it's been some good participation um i would say that you know when we talk about the risk of um on, finish this meeting i'll be back oh i see i see i don't think so we're gonna wrap her up here pretty soon 20 minutes or so but uh yeah we so jason it was funny if you're still listening we uh we had a guest that popped in and i didn't send anybody a link yet so um <laughs> my noisy driver does try that i got distracted you guys you guys are fired no there's no perimeter and i think my point is <laughs> yeah. that the more and more we understand there's no perimeter you can't just say well i have this trusted area behind my firewall and like everything that wants to access i'm going to give it conditional access policies out to microsoft without mfa i'm going to not have to have the sentinel one on it maybe or like stupid things i just want to say stupid things so people hopefully understand they're stupid things but um the point is like you you shouldn't live that way anymore i think in the way we're heading when it's all identity centric and it's all SaaS first and everything's tied identity over to this, you know, that, that aspect of it, then, you know, you, you, you get into a point where it's not about the, the, the local perimeter anymore. It's about every single right. transaction, every single communication, every single time that laptop could expose my OAuth token to somebody publicly that could then take that, right, in, in a phishing attack or wherever it might be, you should have those things at, at the point of consumption. And if you can automate that, so that, like I go to sign into my Office 365 to access my third-party resource and it says no, you cannot access this third-party resource because you're not on a compliant device and you're not on an Azure Active Directory join device. And the threat actor's going, damn it! But right? if we're going to play like doomsday yeah. scenario, like what if a bad piece of code gets pushed into to Intune, right? Like it's it's very unlikely. I want to add that. Like I've I've met yeah, yeah. people and I, I, I'm pretty fake. I have a decent amount of I mean, of I've simulated it and done it. And, oh, never mind. Sorry, different conversation. And, 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 <laughs> but, but like it can happen. And at yes. the end of the day, now we're back to where we started from because if we are now creating enormous amounts of um, hoops for end users to jump through, now as MSPs, there's the burden of support that comes along with it and yep. clients who don't a, either understand it, B, appreciate it, and C. Oh, gosh, Morty. Sorry. No, yeah, that's I, it. That is the final paradox. Like, let's, let's put this into something we can frame out, right? Like, it's this challenge of when it's not money. When it's just hearts and minds, when it's just educating a populace that you need to do something that might create both unilateral cost potentially for you as an MSP, but also um, impact and pain for them uh, in, in, in that perspective, right? And the perfect one as an example is taking away local admin rights, right? How many of you MSPs out there that are watching this or, or vendors and partners that understand this are saying, okay, I want to take away local admin rights. What's the immediate impact to an MSP, Morty? Hundreds of additional support calls. Amen. And oftentimes with that loud salesperson that gets the most attention, that has the most pull, that's going to get the CEO to go, just can you just give John what he needs? Not if we're going to honor this new choice. 
and, and that CEO also's password is password one two three. But whatever, we're yeah. gonna digress. Yeah. I've had I've I've had the same clients look at me one day where this guy was had a compromise and it was showing up on his Sentinel One and it came ultimately from an outside attacker it came from an RDP rule that they shouldn't have had, you know and and we're talking to this gentleman and, and he's like lock it down make it all secure da 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 the next day he calls me out their ticket they swear to God this this was I was a young technician and I just blew my mind and he goes I don't want a single password on these front nine workstations I want to work out how this Active Directory can have these admins come in and do their work and not be I'm like. Are you fucking stupid? Like, I cannot put this together in my brain to how you could have this paradoxical understanding of saying, I need these security things, I need them, but then I don't need to apply them here for convenience reasons. And, like, it just broke well, that my conversation brain. conversation has to really, like, it needs a shift. Like, security versus convenience is the most annoying. It's been around forever. And, and look, I know there's a line where people start to do the wrong thing, but that line is not where we tend to think it is. Right. Yeah. And, and so where do you think it is end up making these compromises? I think it's completely fair to make people jump through hoops to access sensitive data. Right. Like it, it in every business has sense. If, if you are a business that transacts dollars or whatever currency, you transact money. Right. Um, <laughs> now I know what Frenchie's talking uh, about. I apologize. <laughs> You're right, Miguel. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> it sometimes slips out. I get a little bit of Chris Roberts channel. It happens. There, so. Yeah. But, but. It, so every every business has sensitive data, right? If you do transactions, you have sensitive data, and if you don't do transactions, you're not a business. So, um, yep. there, it's reasonable to require things like MFA. Like MFA is is a bare minimum thing you can do nowadays. It's not like hey, yep. do this cool new thing anymore. And the cool thing is, is technology is now to a point where I can still keep it pretty damn convenient. Yep. Like I need I need Fido some conditions or, to access or, certain or, things yeah. every day. Right. Yep. The fact that my my machine is joined and, and compliant and patched and all those things and the fact that I carry a FIDO token with me wherever I go, it's just not hard for me to circumvent or not circumvent, that's the wrong word, for me to overcome the, the hoops I have to jump through to prove that it's me accessing sensitive data. You right? do, yeah. however, want to be careful to not keep your FIDO token and your laptop in the same bag. But, you know, this is fair. They're on. It's on the car keys. So, like, if I lose the laptop bag, the keys are in my pocket. It's fine. Miguel asked a great question. He says, is it hard for MSPs to apply zero trust concepts? I think the overall first bite to understand what needs to happen to make a reasonable attempt at zero trust and how we're going to approach our switches, how we're going to approach our wireless, how we're going to approach our identity source, how we're going to manage people resetting passwords, how we're going to do those things. That's not hard. I think once they get it done, that's, that's easy. I think the challenge, Miguel, is a hearts and minds problem. I think the mm -hmm. challenge is that, you know, as Dom says, hey, MFA is already the standard and, and you know, we're going to make things easier and we use FIDO. That's all fine and well unless you're sitting on server 2003 R2 and you're still like you have this journey to take to figure out what you're going to do. And a lot of times those same clients will stay on and pay MSPs and MSPs have to have the revenue and they'll take clients that genuinely are walking through a battlefield, throwing and kicking ball across the minefield and walking with zero protection <laughs> as they scream, shoot at me, shoot at me, a dirty enemy. Like, I, I don't understand how else to put it. Like, and, and then we wonder no, why that's they got exactly killed. what it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, no, it's yeah. not hard, Miguel. It's hard to scale, I think. And I think it's also hard um, to get those people to buy into the, the massive change that needs to exist sometimes to take and, them down a well, journey. Those things we're waiting and, for, and, like and being, on, and, and being on the front lines, I'll tell you that it's it's very difficult to get mind share from a client who's just busy doing whatever it is that they're doing. You know, yeah. if they're selling widgets to make dollars, 
then that's what they want to be doing. They don't want to have a two and a half hour conversation about an internet office, zero trust, hearts and minds and security and all kinds of things like that, which while that may be interesting philosophically and certainly for us security professionals might be useful, uh, you know, yeah. that doesn't make them any money. But in the same way, if they hand it to you, they don't often own it for the owning the no, I like to say. Right? Uh, right. When they've said yes and you started the project, and now you have a loud sales guy wanting to circumvent it. You don't have zero trust if you have some trust, right, in some degree. Right. I'm being a little facetious, right? But um, I think the other side of it is, and, and Dom touched on this, you know, there's often a lot of limitations in our vendor, you know, in the people we choose to do business with as MSPs. So, you know, think of a single organization, Miguel, as an enterprise. You might have a team that handles vulnerability management. They don't need any delineation in the in the in the console, they don't need the ability to have segmentation of who has access to what. Like to some degree, the role-based access doesn't play outside of their own one-to-one -one version of their role. And so you start getting into this very monolithic view. But when you try to be an MSP, you have 170 employees, and each employee might serve in three or four roles for a particular entity and client. And unfortunately, like my vendor will bring me something. Microsoft's a great example where I can't give some granular access down to a particular user saying, John, you know, Dom is on my SecOps team. He, he's responsible for Team Charlie and Team Bravo in Denver. I want him to have access to only those clients, and if even better, only those clients when he needs access to them, right? Carrying on that zero trust theory. Um, with the just-in-time, um, just-enough, the JITGIA that Dom speaks about, right? So the concept is, you know, Miguel, this one's very passionate in my heart because I think there's so many parts to unpack in that question. Um, that are that are both client facing, regulatory. MSPs uh, don't even have any type of barrier to entry. You have barriers to what we could actually produce. I mean, there's there's hundreds of answers to that question. Uh, Dom, any thoughts from your time as an MSP when you know this question of even if you tried to do a cursory that was rough when I started. Yeah, I mean, it was it was rough. And back eight hundred two eleven X is a fun topic. <laughs> uh, when I first Thought started I'd doing it, I had on that one. So it was pretty easy. But when you get into technologies like eight hundred two eleven X and how do I do that in the cloud? you're engaging third parties or you're building crap in Azure and, you know, building shitty VPN connections, NPS servers right? to bring like, back yeah, a response for radius. And yeah. Right, like, yeah. Um, and it's, it's tough to accomplish these things. I think the key and, and more you kind of hit on it is to iterate, yep. right? Is to say, Hey, here's where Probably you get right. I always take a full prettier. picture of everything, right? I take a big picture and I write it up and I say, here's where you're at. Right. And here's how much it's going to cost to fix it. And it might be a lot of money, but you don't need to spend that money right now. What I'm going right. to do is I've prioritized this for you. You're definitely going to get attacked in this way. So we're going to fix that this year. Yep. Um, or I'm going to fire you. Right. But, <laughs> but now yeah. we're going to look at these other things <laughs> and we're going to prioritize them out over a time frame that works for your business and your budget and, and your areas of risk. Yeah, right? I read ahead, but but he corrected it to say hard. I just yeah, just because if it was if it was <laughs> um, bothering anybody on that on that pause there. Um, but yeah, if you if you really iterate. And then something happens, like, man, that sucks. You know, that was item five. We finished item four. Yep. Right. You could show that you were iterating, but yeah, you know, we knew about it and it just, it wasn't working yeah. right now. That's $10,000 they didn't have, but we all knew about it. We all knew the risk and we were planning to fix it. And here's all the other shit we've accomplished, man. Now I'm going to be in trouble like you. Here's all the, all the other yeah, stuff we yes. accomplished in the, in the last same jail months, as me now. Right. I bring it back to Morty's point, though, right, to this. And, and that, you know, he said, you know, the building a sky, skyscraper kind of comparison and things. And that, that you right. know, nobody building a skyscraper goes, man, I'm going to have this thing done in two weeks. 
right? No, it's a plan. It has it has delineable milestones. It has actions that are going to have to happen. I'm going to have to put up the 14th floor before I put up that 17th floor. Like otherwise, things have problems, right? Like so, That's right. You know, it's and, and, and better better make sure you don't forget the steel. But just saying, you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no doubt. Um, but anyways, I think the the points we're trying to make is that being iterative and starting to flex the muscles and starting to show that you can do these things as an MSP, as a, as a business owner, because I say those together because they're not separable. You have to work in right. conjunction with your client partners and you have to work in conjunction with your MSP partners, MSSP partners, whatever you call, choose to call yourself today. Let's call it an XSP. Um, you know, as you start understanding that, you'll see this is a collaborative event that takes, you know, some degree of marrying of, of your, your even decision structure, right? right? And in some ways you're handing off third party to me, like an effective account creation strategy shouldn't exist just as a simple form that's not validated, right? You shouldn't have these things that, that um, aren't actually being inspected as a process as you're starting as an MSP. Somebody wants me to create a new account, I'm going to have to you make sure that the way we deliver it's secure, that it's actually been authorized by an internal HR resource that's set in our policies and our procedures. And then it, you know, and as you start thinking about all the breadth of all those things that, that kind of come, come into what it takes to make those interfaces as an MSP, it's a really wide topic and it's building a skyscraper. And I think you have to have a plan and do it and execute it. And it's phases. building a skyscraper and maybe you build the first 10 floors and you open that up and you keep building on top, right? Like yeah, exactly. it's a functional piece of property, Yep. right? While you continue to build it up and make it bigger and better and stronger. Collaborative <laughs> communications. Right. Yeah, you know, and, and 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 not not being afraid to stand on what the principles are, you know, Matt, I, I, that image of the lone soldier walking through the minefield while being yeah. out <laughs> is is a little and scary. playing kickball, right? And I mean, playing kickball because yeah. he really wants yeah. to increase his odds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's reality, and I think our clients do it every day. And I think what what's coming, and I'm not Doctor Doom and Gloom, and I do believe that you know there's a positive spin to this, but. I do think that we are going to see the requisite deaths. I think we are going to see the companies that can't continue to function. I think we are going to see the people that are brought to their knees from a regulatory or privacy or other space. And I think we need it. I think we need people because, you know, if you look at, um, you know, just general human behavior, right, we're not very good at accepting threats as real risks to us until after uh, we've been hit by said threat, right? Like it's kind of a fire code analogy. Yeah. Until we until we see death, it's not scary. Right. right. And and like yeah. Colonial Pipeline was a huge awakening for so many people in my network that, that aren't geeks like me. They're yep. like they were calling me like, hey, man, was this really this? And I was like, yeah, right. That's right. Exactly what Dom, happened. Dom, there's 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 a big issue there because, look, you say fire code and that's a good example. And we also touched upon the medical uh, community versus, say, the NTSB. The NTSB right. adopted a very collaborative and open um attitude towards being able to analyze crashes. True. Right. Maybe they could go cross borders. They could share information with anyone. Yeah. Well, lots True. Of well, when they're investigating like the airline and the pilots and everyone sure. plays together and they're all yeah. trying to find a solution. But in the medical community, they may not be quite the same. And there are True. lots of deaths that's, that occur because of the lack of transparency. No, the morbidity and mortality process is perfect, Morty. It's not true. <laughs> I'm not criticizing anybody in the medical community. God forbid. What do you mean? Without doctors, I uh, would be very, very sick right now. But my point simply being that, you know, a little bit of openness, I think, potentially can help the process and shining some yeah. light on some of these little dark corners may be beneficial to society at large. 
And maybe oh, this is yeah, why hubris... Especially for the general public. Like, people don't understand. Like, people yep. are like, oh, an email leak or this and... Like, right. the, there's no context to, you know, Gravatar yep. leaked tens of millions of emails, right? right? But when we right. follow up that story with this increase in phishing attacks and this increase in financial fraud as a result, or, you know, Hospital XYZ got breached and this many insurance plans were defrauded and it cost this person X to yeah, fix it. Yeah, that's the real cost of medical for anybody on the quick up and up, right? Like, when you right. get medical data, it's significantly more valuable than a lot of other data types, right? Because you can bill can insurance so much agencies. more than a credit card with that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I can yeah. bill for a $37,000 appendectomy if I get the right whack at it, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. And then you're going to get appendicitis, and the insurance company's going to have some questions for you. So, They're like, hey, bro, we like, can't pay for this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't have to get one of those. I mean, we can check for double allocation, but we don't think so. Like, we're thinking <laughs> yeah. there's only one attachment point. Yeah. Um, that's, that's hilarious. But yeah, I, I think, you know, you, you bring up some good correlations there. And, and I think the things we keep bringing into correlations around medical, around legal, around these other, you know, professional services, you know, they, they really, even if you took electrical or you took hairdressers or you took, there's so many other industries that have some degree of like a quality of life or quality of standards or, you know, standard of care definition. And I a think license, our problem is we right? don't. Like, yeah, we have nothing. Yeah, so yeah. that's another paradox, and it makes it harder. If we had a trusted base and a certain licensure and a requirement to be Morty or to be Matt. Sure. Um, should we be yeah. giving a plug to uh, to our friends over at a certain company that assists with certifications, or should we not be doing things like that? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that from that perspective. I try to avoid that in these um, conversations, but I would say that, you know, if we were to, as an industry, developed a set of standards that we were willing to adhere to in some normalcy and some deliverability, some definition of what, our, what, our, what is technology providership and what we're responsible for, I think we could avoid some of the pitfalls of traditional regulation. I think if we were to self-regulate, if we were to start saying, if you're a technology provider, even if you're in an organization, you're held to a certain standard, a certain requirement. And what you'd be able to do is stop giving organizations the avenue to say, I'll just hire internally because I can fight this that way. Right. Or, you know, and, and PG yeah. tech or a PG 13 tech and uh, the, yeah, whatever uh, it is. Yeah. I love that. We mean, whatever. Yeah, exactly. The motion picture <laughs> association system is uh, alive and well in it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I think the challenge we have is that, you know, these, all of these solves have to come together kind of at the same time, right? We have to have some standard of care. We have to have some degree of what people should be deploying as, as SMB and, and mid-sized business and enterprise. And then we should also have like, you know, all of those things have to have some degree of the ability to remove bad technicians and bad people that don't follow those standards and learn. If my doctor uses a procedure from 72 years ago and I have something go bad from it, I'm going to own everything that doctor might own, right? At least as far as my legal capabilities can take me in or their insurance policy. But if they're following recommended practices and doing it and documenting it properly, then the likelihood of something came out was in the margin of error. And I think that right. difference is we don't have those standards in our world. So even if you tried to apply this and say, everybody must have MFA, great on what and how. Right. So, right. You know? so guys, so guys, you guys are experts in the field. You have oh, no, 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 no. I'm a student. <laughs> yeah, I'm a practitioner. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, if, if I was just an average MSP, let's assume that I was just an average MSP and I wanted to implement a couple of things, what would you say? Obviously, Dom spoke about MFA earlier. We spoke about FIDO keys. We spoke about, you know, protecting conditional access. There were dozens of things that we could do. What, what would you guys say would be the top three for each framework. of you? Yeah. Follow yeah. a framework. Follow yeah, a framework. Yep. Yep. And then yep. MFA. I don't care which uh, one. And then I like this. But like yeah, a, a yeah, it doesn't framework, yeah. not not some not something someone just wrote. 
right. you know, your CIS, your NIST, uh, CMMC is probably not very MSP friendly. So it's super industry, applicable, but super granular, yeah. but yeah. Um, yeah. Any, any of those. Right. And then, and then and start <laughs> and start right. yeah. like, like right. pick a framework and not just go, man, there's my framework. Look how pretty she is, man. She's a good framework. <laughs> I got no, that PDF no, saved to my OneDrive. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I'm personally a big fan of a learning culture. Yeah. Not yeah. spanking technicians for making mistakes, but yep. making sure that, you know, people are open and they learn because, yeah. you know, if you don't learn, like you said, in, you know, you in the same breath, though, I think it becomes almost indefensible. If I was a coach back to our football analogy and I have a guard that's getting beat every week and that guard's getting beat by every player, any player style capability as a coach, I had better be able to answer to that team owner as to why I have that guard in play. Um, well, and, and so, I mean, there's a point that you have to take that beyond, but yes, I agree. You should definitely take every effort to teach. And I think you should start with a lot of people that just have passion, right? I, I don't, right. I don't think you'd relegate it to a degree or a certificate. I think you, you know, we're, we're in an apprenticeship world, I think in my mind and starting with that MSP technician that's going, man, we shouldn't do these passwords in clear text. What is, why am I seeing this on a wire shark? And you're like, oh, this is horrible. That human is who you want to be making those calls and advocations in your organization. Right. So. And, and Matt, you know, I think pretty much any HR <laughs> business cult, consulting coach will have some sort of a model that sounds roughly like the Lencioni thing of humble, hungry, and smart. Yeah, I yeah. love humble, hungry, and smart. It's fantastic. Humble, hungry, and smart is wonderful, yeah, but it, yeah. it's predicated on smart. Well, right? it, it, it does, <laughs> and that's also somewhat monovectic. Smart is yeah. different. There's a difference between smart and educated. Right? True story. I think there's yeah. there's common sense smart, and 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 I think anyone who's common sense smart and has a true passion and this is what they want to do can learn and get educated on how cybersecurity and security ops needs to function in the 21st century and beyond, right? Which, which a million resources. Back to being your guard being debated every single Sunday on every single play. Because obviously right. that, that person fails the humble, hungry, and smart. Because that person right. either doesn't Certainly care a possibility. is not capable of learning or doesn't have the aptitude. Either way. But in the same breath as we grew and scaled as a company, I can't tell you, and I think PAX 8 deals with this too, but how many times I had to look up and realize I wasn't good enough anymore. Right. And I think that comes from that that humble part. I think that comes from even smart part. But I think sometimes your judgment of humble, hungry and smart must also iterate. <laughs> right. You know, if I'm going to win this championship yes. series over the next five years as an NFL coach coming in, I'm not just saying I'm going to try to win like eight games this year every time. And I'm no, they're coming in and having methodologies to say, hey, I'm going to actually go and realize that I'm this many gaps short. I can get four new positions next year. I know that I can train this one person up. I can work through this. They go down to the tactical technical of, of that, you know, plan. Right. And seeing it out, and I, I think that, you know, humble, hungry, and smart, and realizing that that next year's humble, hungry, and smart has to be something better. And if you want to stay right. in that game, you'd better try to be better. Uh, you know, and Matthew Hayes uh, came comes in. He's he and I good friends here on this as well. I've uh, been following for a long time on both both ways. But um, most people can get certified applying the learnings with tact and accuracy is a true skill set. Amen. And that's why I, I speak towards passion oftentimes. Uh, and really, Morty hit it on the head. Humble, hungry, and smart applies in our world there too, right? Um, and whatever operating system you speak towards in that. But from a, from the ability true, to yeah, from a true humility perspective. I promise you, I did not invent that model. No, no, that's Patrick <laughs> Lencioni, right? As I yeah. recall, yeah. Um, and I imagine other sage advice that came together and have that thought process. And I love him as a storyteller. He really helps educate people in that regard. But I, I was one of my, one of my books that we followed quite, quite a bit at choose networks. So, um, but he, like, as he goes on to say, you know, with tact and accuracy, um, the, the tact to not run people over, 
this guy, um, you know, the, the accuracy of the statement, sometimes this guy as well. Uh, you know, you're right. That's the skill set. And I, I fail often. Right. And I think it's trying to be humble about that and be better and better at the delivery of that to your clients in ways that you can speak to them. And yeah, agreed. Right. Great point. Well, we are over time. Any parting thoughts? I actually am going to shut up. I promise. I say this every time. We'll see if I can actually succeed. But Dom, close us out, and then Morty, let's wrap it up, and we'll, we'll get we'll get done. Uh, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time, Morty, and, and thanks for the invite, Matt. Yeah, um, man. Since we were just talking about about leaving advice, pick a framework. Like it's going to make life so much easier. Like it's going to give you a big to do list, but right now you're kind of inventing if you're not using a framework, right? So yeah. Pick framework, implement it, iterate on it, um, and you'll be in a lot better shape than the lump sum. Yeah, and, uh, you know, so, guys, I, I want to thank you both. I think, um, for me, this is always enlightening. It's always wonderful to learn. And uh, I, uh, I am once again humbled by just how much paradox there are, is, in fact, in the world. And, um, you know... What do they say? The people who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. So, uh, yeah. you know, so if, if, if that's in fact the case, then uh, let's learn. I think uh, we'll, we'll, to Dom's point, we'll pick a framework. To Matt's point, uh, we'll uh, continue to improve. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for participating in the beer banter. My short yeah, beard notwithstanding. I'm going to let another beard banter <laughs> pop in here because Colin Gill is a really good friend of mine. He worked with me quite close from a tactical, technical perspective, uh, and he definitely deserves to speak towards the Matt Lee tact. I, I, will, I will not get into it further, um, but he's, he's certainly not wrong that we as humans have to grow a little bit, and that may be one of my certain areas. <laughs> I say things that come to my mind often. So thanks for being here, everybody. It was a great beard banter. If you want to participate in beard banter, reach out. Like I'm scheduling them throughout next year, and I just like to have a fun place to chat with friends. So uh, Colin, I might be calling you out, buddy. Uh, so you might have to jump in <laughs> on an episode with me. <laughs> See you guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody.